Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. In my 27 years as a Victorian policewoman, I investigated everything from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. Policing taught me a lot about human nature, which I explore in my podcasts with a variety of fascinating guests discussing the human side and impact of crime, not only on their lives, but mine as well. My podcasts are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. If you find yourself affected by my subject matter, please contact Lifeline or any other support, service or person that you feel comfortable with. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs and not everyone will agree with them. I understand that and I hope you do too. Thank you. I can hear a noise outside and he's at the back door and he's smashing the back door down with a crowbar and all I remember is him racing towards me with this crowbar just screaming at me. In my role as a podcaster, I receive a variety of emails from listeners, some of them suggesting a guest they think I might be interested in. Uh, Some just say thanks for a particular subject matter that I've discussed. Some asking for advice and some just want to share some information uh, that they've been or a situation that they've been part of or involved in. And I've got to be honest, to have a complete stranger contact me and feel comfortable enough to share such a personal, often troubling time of their life with me makes me feel very humbled and honoured every single time. I love the fact that those who contact me are generally normal everyday people who might have had something traumatic, troubling or frightened happen to them or someone close to them. And these emails are pure gold because their stories to me come from the heart and they haven't been contaminated or sensationalised by a journalist, for instance, wanting to be, you know, the first with the story or maybe tarting it up a bit to get more hits or seeking some shock value. The people that email me, they don't have that notoriety. They haven't been on the front page of the paper or had their story told on the nightly news or in a TV special. They just want to tell me their story. And such was the case with my guest today, Sarah. Sarah, it's not her real name, uh, heard an interview I did and she contacted me to thank me for shining a light on mental health, a subject very close to her heart as I found out. There was a line in her email which really stood out to me and it caught my eye. It said, quote, What's interesting is that I'm a psychologist the very type of person who should know better than to get into a relationship with a narcissist, or so you would think, unquote. And, you know, it made me think how just because we're experts in a particular field, it doesn't render us incapable of experiencing emotions or situations that every other human being feels or is affected by. And when we do, we often feel disappointed maybe in ourselves for feeling that way. Because she's a psychologist, it seemed to me Sarah thought she should have been able to identify the signs of a narcissist and avoid them. But don't we all tend to brush off little concerns or niggles we have when we meet somebody we like? Forming a relationship, it's about accepting and respecting each other's differences and accepting that none of us are perfect. And Sarah is no different, psychologist or not. So with that intro, thanks for taking your time out of your busy day, Sarah. And um, 
from the conversations we've had, I know this is just about the last thing you expected, (laughs) but I'm so grateful for you agreeing to share your story with us. Cool. Uh, You didn't expect um, to be a guest of mine, did you? (laughs) No, I didn't. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, likewise. Look, it'll be fairly obvious that Sarah is from New Zealand and I might appear a bit vague at times and need her to repeat a few words here and there, but bear with me. Uh, that's both Sarah and my listeners. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> so um, as I said in the intro, the fact that you felt as a psychologist that you shouldn't have fallen for a narcissist, mm. uh, I just thought it was you were being very harsh and unkind to yourself. So maybe we might start off if you can explain or describe what a narcissist is. Yeah. So um, to be quite honest with you, I didn't know what one was. Um I may be a psychologist. My training was about 20 years ago and I had never come across the term. I'd never heard of it until I was thrown in the deep end. Um, somehow found out about it, looked it up and was like, wow, this is, this is my life. Um, basically to me, my, my take on a narcissist is someone that, a gaslighter, really good storyteller, um, they lack um, empathy and I think that they tend to live a really sort of grandiose idea of who they are in their mind. Yes. Yeah, that they they will never blame themselves. It's everyone else's fault and they are just, in their eyes, perfect. W- would you say that uh, my experience would also include their arrogant? Oh. Would that be a... Oh, 100%. Yes, absolutely arrogant. And it's funny because my ex, um, I I knew him from my childhood and I remember thinking back then I thought he was arrogant as well. So I don't know why I thought he would have changed. But, uh, yeah, that was my first um, take on him, arrogant. Oh, okay. So even when you were kids, you (laughs) saw that, uh, not that you had a a word for it, obviously, but you believed that he was pretty full of himself and thought himself was pretty hot. Yeah, Mm. definitely. And was he? Was he hot? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Everyone else thought he was. He was the typical um, surfy, um, surfy, good looking dude back then. I, I wasn't into that and I was really sort of um, repulsed by the arrogance. Yeah. So don't even ask me what changed that perception. That was going to be yeah. the next question. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, as an adult, um, we, I guess, re-met each other as adults and it sort of went from there really quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your story, which we'll get to shortly, mm-hmm. it's inspiring on many levels, but it's also horrendous. Um, inspiring because it um, confirms to many that no matter uh, how educated or intelligent someone is, that sometimes where matters of the heart are concerned, our decisions aren't always right, are they? Yeah. And, um, and also your story is horrendous. Uh, just due to the trauma and suffering that you've experienced. Um, And we will get to that shortly. Mm -hmm. So you may have answered it, I'm not sure, but so how do you think your narcissist partner got under your radar? Because clearly as a younger person Mm -hmm. you um, were almost turned off by that, let's say, arrogance. Yeah. but somehow he managed, um, yeah, to get under your radar. Can you tell us how that happened? Yeah, um, I think that when I re-met him as an adult, I was going through a time in my life where I had quite low self-esteem. Um, I was raising a child at the time and I didn't really get out much or any of that. So for this person to re-emerge and, I guess, give me attention it's what I wanted at the time. Um, he was very arrogant when I re-met him as an adult and I wasn't really that interested, but he was so persistent. So he tended to be really pushy about wanting to meet up, about wanting to do things together. Um, 
and just over time, uh, my no wasn't taken as a no. So mm. it just wouldn't listen to me. And then it just time crept up. And I think within three months, we were pregnant. Gee. Yeah. Okay. That, that changes the whole ball game. Yeah, it? it absolutely does. And it was, yeah, mm. from there that everything went south. Mm. So I suppose the fact that you are uh, pregnant to this man, mm-hmm. that it wasn't so easy to walk away, was it? Like there were um, added responsibilities, I suppose, wasn't there? Yes, I definitely felt trapped um, because at that point I was obviously trying to get out of the relationship. Uh, I would, I didn't even call it a relationship at the time. He was. He was mm-hmm. doing the whole love bombing, all of that, then got pregnant and realised, okay, mm-hmm. maybe we just have mm-hmm. to do this and we have to um, soldier on and get through it. Yeah. Mm. When you say the love bombing, um, can you describe the sort of things? Because from my point of view, um, and from obviously you would agree, I think that from a professional point of view, this is a very typical, um, um, this is very typical behaviour of that coercive control. Um, And so the love bombing is very, very prevalent in somebody that has that sort of control. So can you tell us about that a bit? Yeah, so um, love bombing, again, had never heard of it, didn't even know what it was until the great thing, hindsight. Um, I, I guess he knew what to say to make me feel happy. It was the words I wanted to hear. Um, I was given everything. Um, so I was giving lots of gifts and I was given time, his time and attention. This was all at the start. So within the very first three months, uh, I think he was able to read what I needed and yeah. give me all yeah. of that. Um, that's another word that comes to mind with um, a narcissist is how manipulative mm. they can be or they are. And as you said, he he could like almost read the room. Mm. He could read you. He knew what you needed. He knew what, I mean, it's not hard, is it, to work out what some, like a, a, a single mum, I gather yes. that's what you were yep. when you met him. Yeah. So a single mum. Um, you know, you're struggling, it, it wouldn't be hard to uh, win somebody over, particularly when uh, you have a lot of attributes that are, um, you know, pleasant. Yeah. He's nice looking. He's, um, I imagine he was very good with his words, yeah. uh, with his actions. And, uh, I mean, I think how could how could somebody – not in a way Mm. how could somebody not fall for that yeah and I think when I look back I'm I'd never encountered a person like this I had never encountered someone to be so cruel so manipulative so unkind so when it's happening in this really bizarre way where you start to think you're going a bit crazy Mm. and you get swept away um it's hard to see at the time because you just don't believe that people are like this. But also you're swept up in that uh, that honeymoon period yeah. where the world, it's just so lovely and you don't see no. the bad because you just see the good and you just think how lovely this is. It's hard to imagine that it turns so sour. Yeah, isn't and it? there were definitely a lot of red flags along the way um, that I should have picked up on, but... Yeah, didn't, ignored them. Actually, that was going to be my next question. I was going to say that in your own time, in your own words, mm-hmm. can you tell us, I know you don't like to call it a relationship, but let's say can you tell us about your uh, liaison with this man and when you first started to realise that the relationship wasn't what you'd sort of hoped for and, and when you decided enough is enough? Okay. So, um Yeah, I guess when we got pregnant with our first child, uh, I I started to feel quite trapped. And it was during that pregnancy that a lot of red flags popped up for me. So he was almost able to drop the act. Um, 
the the love bombing sort of stopped then and he I guess he he knew he had me so um I had a really bad pregnancy with a lot of health issues so I was um going to the hospital quite a lot sick all the time and he would go on these sort of week-long drug and alcohol binges where I wouldn't he would just disappear and I wouldn't hear from him for a few weeks I wouldn't know where he was um at one point there were people turning up knocking at my door at midnight um I I later found out that they were looking for drugs um and this was really frightening because this is not a world I grew up in that this is so far from the person that I am so that was really scary really stressful time and so we had our first child um after I think so I was in the maternity ward for a few days and I think on the second day he came in to visit with his friend and my mum was in with oh no sorry my mum popped in and there were only two chairs in the maternity ward and they didn't get up and to me that's that's a huge sign of respect because I think you know this is my mother let her have a seat let her hold the baby and they just sat there and I remember my mother pointed that out to me afterwards and could not she's cannot believe that that even happened she just thought that was so disrespectful and I did too but um yeah all these things you you, you start making excuses for them mm-hmm. and I think the following day we had a big fight at the maternity ward a verbal argument and he stormed out and was gone for two weeks so I had to return home um with my baby no idea where he was uh so yeah, I knew it was going to be tough from then on. Mm. So, Sarah, can, Sarah, can we just go back while you're on um, just the birth and being at yeah. the hospital? Um, when you went into labour, did you tell him, and what was his response? <laughs> yeah. So, um, when I went into labour, he was basically he was sort of yelling at me on the drive from home to the hospital. I remember him yelling at me in the car to stop being so dramatic. Um, He dropped me off at the door and then went and parked the car, didn't didn't help me get in. This was very early hours of the morning. And I made my way in and I'm I'm a really I'm really good under pressure. So I tend to be quiet and controlled. But his energy was just uh, chaotic. So I was I was really stressed during the birth and it was a really fast birth and he just was not at all helpful. He kept telling me to just calm down, get over it. Uh, I, and funnily enough, I remember, um, so when you're giving birth, you're, you're really thirsty. And I remember saying, please, can you give me a drink of water? And he'd give me the cup, hold it over to me with the straw and wouldn't even hold the straw, so I couldn't even drink the water. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, mm. and I that just sticks in my mind because it just shows, you know, that it was all about him. What's sticking in my mind right at this stage? There's a lot, but the fact that your mother comes in to see you, and I don't know too many people, women or men, mm. that wouldn't stand up for clearly an older person, whether it's a, a woman or a man, that doesn't matter. Mm. But it's just about respect, isn't it? Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And mm. that didn't fall well in my mum's mind. <laughs> she did not mm. like that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So uh, you don't see him for, what was it, a couple, couple of, weeks of weeks when you go home and you've got the baby on your own with your uh, other child there as well, yeah. I'm assuming? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, it was a really tough year following that. Um, I was very busy. He wasn't working. Uh, most of the time that we were together in the first few years, he wasn't working. So he would come up with these, again, these grandiose business ideas that needed my investment. And 
they would they were great ideas don't get me wrong but he wouldn't be able to follow through something would always happen and it was always someone else's fault so mm-hmm. we're losing money i'm the only one bringing money in hugely stressful time i'm the only one looking after the kids uh yeah so it was it was around that one year point uh, like our first child was one that i wanted to leave and then I found out I was pregnant with our second child. So, yeah, that was, I had been ready to leave. Uh, that pregnancy was a lot less stressful. I was a, I was a bit more confident about myself and realized I needed to get out of this situation, but I didn't know how. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I started to sort of get my, um, you know, start saving a bit of money um, coming up with plans, letting some people know that I wanted to get out of the relationship um, and just having those sort of discussions with people. Mm-hmm. So then we had our second child and that was really, really stressful time. I don't even know how I managed it. So by this time he had started another business, maybe his fourth business, and it was doing really well. He was working really long hours. So I'm talking like three o'clock in the morning and he would get home at 10 p.m. And I was working full time, still breastfeeding my youngest child and racing to her across town to feed at different times and, you know, making dinner, doing the bath time, putting them to bed. It it was a lot. Um, And... He would often, in his downtime, so his weekends off, he would go hunting. He would go away on surfing trips. He would just disappear again for these like week-long periods where I didn't know where he was. So I, at, at that point, with my second, uh, with our second child, I realised that I had to pick myself up. So it was just me and the kids, and that's how I saw it. And we just got on with it. And he was sort of secondary at that point. Um, but when you say what made what made you realise that the relationship wasn't working, it, it wanted to, I wanted it to end. Um, that sort of happened when my um, our first child was about three years old. I went overseas. Um, so this was a plan that I had with a cousin to go away. Uh, for three weeks overseas trip, which he was really jealous about. Um, so he stayed with the children and he knew nothing about my plans. He, he sort of knew where we were going, but he didn't have any real details about where we, we were staying. Mm. So I remember it's about 4 a.m. We're in Amsterdam and the phone rings next to the bed. Not even my cell phone. This is the phone, the hotel phone. Oh, yeah. It's not my cell phone. And I pick it up and I'm like, hello. And it's him. I don't know. I still don't know to this day how we found out where we were. Um, And he's just screaming, screaming at me that I had been cheating on him with someone because he had a dream. And this person looked like someone I followed on Instagram. And it was this really (laughs) weird concocted story. Um, yeah, and it was at, seriously, it was at that point that I just said, I've had enough. This is t- internally, I'm thinking, I've had enough. This is just weird. This is. It was the straw yeah. that broke the camel's back. Was it ever? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I decided that when I returned home, I would leave him. Um, a second thing happened just after that is my auntie passed away when we were overseas. And I was heartbroken because this auntie was like a mother to me. So he informed me via text to say she's died. Literally, that was the text. Oh, your auntie's died. I'm like, um, okay, right. So our family holds holds things off and, and we return about two days later. I get off the plane. This is like a 20-hour flight. And he comes to pick me up and he's on the phone and I get to him and he's just like, oh, I've had such a hard day. 
oh, I'm so tired. It was all about him. And I'm like, hello? Like, you know? And um, he didn't attend the funeral, which was the following day in which I read the eulogy. And that really hurt. I just thought the one time I need you. Yeah. So, yeah, I, from there I decided it was over. And the funeral was on the Wednesday and I left him on the Saturday. How did you leave him? What, what was that day like? <laughs> We'd had an argument about something and we're feeding the kids breakfast and I just told him it's over. It's over. I don't. I can't do it anymore. And we'd had this discussion several times before and he would go, be gone for a few days, come back, tell me everything I wanted to hear Mm. and say all the changes he's going to make. It'll all go well, honeymoon period, and then we're back at square one. So this time I said, no, no, it's over. Again, he thought it's not really. So he moved out. And a week later, kept trying to come back. And I was like, no, it's it's absolutely over. And that's when he started to click, oh, no, she actually means business this time. Mm. And and how did he take that? Was there any, what sort of response was there with re- him realising yeah. that this time she means it? Mm. So over the next two months, it was hell. It was absolute hell for me and my children. So... He would break into the house um, countless times in the middle of the night. He knew where latches were loose on windows or he knew how to get into the home. Uh, he, he would always be drunk, so he was really irrational when he would break in. Um, there was one time where he broke in. He, the way I would describe it is he held me and the children captive. He trapped us in my bedroom. The kids are crying. They just are so tired. It's about 2 o'clock in the morning, and he keeps us up for hours and hours, threatening suicide, wanting to get back together. The kids were exhausted, and he finally left after about three hours of that, um, which was which was awful. Uh, on that occasion, he snapped my iPhone in half, I don't know if you've ever tried to snap an iPhone in half, but no, I still don't even I know. Haven't. Yeah, that, like yeah. yeah. So he yeah. snapped it in half because I had gone to grab it to ring um, for police, and had already snapped it. Um, a few days after that, so I'd I'd got another phone, replaced it. He broke into the house again and he tried to wrestle it out of my hand. He tried to break it again. Because he couldn't do that, he stormed off, and as he left, he slashed all four of my car tires. Um, yeah, it was just a, a lot of this, and it, I reported it to the police every time. Just on that, that's that was that's in the back of my mind that the phone has snapped. Yes, mm. you, that's your lifeline. Mm-hmm. You don't have it, but you just said then that you reported that uh, to the police. Yeah. What was their response? Uh, the fact that he's held you captive, he's broken into the house. Uh, this is, I don't know if I really want to know the answer, but did they do anything? Um, at that stage, not really. Uh, I think, what do you mean, not really? No. I, I can't believe that uh, police, I um, do apologise to the New Zealand police, <laughs> but I can't believe a police person would. Um, not take any of any action like there's so much there that well from over here you know we'd at least be uh, arresting him interviewing putting intervention orders in place um, safety notices maybe taking you somewhere where you're safe uh, yeah. I just so what response did you have from the police um at that point the only thing I can remember, because I, I don't recall him being charged with anything at that time. He may have been, but I can't, I can't recall it. But I do remember I begged police to get me a safety alarm because obviously me getting to my phone um, was an issue yeah, because he yeah, broke it. Yeah. He broke it and then he um, tried to get it off me a second time. 
So I begged him, please get me a safety alarm. And they, they would say, yeah, we'll get you one. And it never happened. And remember, this is over a two-month period that constantly breaking in. And, yeah. And, and you are, you're saying that he's constant, not you're saying, he, he broke in uh, constantly and obviously you are reporting that each time. Mm. You've um, asked for a safety alarm, well, begged for a safety alarm. That wasn't forthcoming. But when yeah. he was breaking in constantly, what sort of things was he doing and how was he getting in? So he was getting in through windows he knew uh, latches were loose on or he knew that I'd keep a certain window open, like the bathroom window, for example. Um, he just he knew the house. He knew the layout and he knew where he could get in. Um. And so it was after the incident with the where he slashed the tires that police realized that this is this is really serious, and they tried to track him down. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Um, so that happened in the afternoon, and they still hadn't found him by that night. Um. And I felt like I was just waiting at home and I, I kind of felt he's going to come back. I need to get the kids out of this house. So I put the kids in the car and we sort of drove around for a few hours and then I realized, oh, you know, they still hadn't found him. But I thought, no, we'll go back home. We should be okay. You know, I've got my phone. I can ring the police if anything happens. And you've got three so, kids in the car that are obviously yeah. needing. At that stage, yeah. I just had my two youngest okay. with me. Yep. Um, so we got home, put them into bed. Half an hour later, um, he I can hear a noise outside and he's at the back door and he's smashing the back door down with a crowbar. And... All I remember is him racing towards me with this crowbar just screaming at me. Yeah, uh, my phone was nowhere to be seen. Um, and he just, I was telling him to be quiet. He's going to wake the kids up. You know, this whole time I'm just trying to keep it norm- as normal as possible for my children. Yeah. 
Um, so they managed to actually sleep through this, thank goodness. Um, so this led to hours of us talking in riddles and talking in circles. He, he was drunk and he's just talking nonsense. And I think for about the next two hours, he sexually assaulted me. Yeah. Can we – this is only if you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. But sexual assault can mean a myriad of things. It can mean, you know, um, touching somebody on the on the breast or, um, I don't know, trying to kiss somebody. Um, oh, there's all sorts of um, things that that can um, mean. Mm. Would you mind – just telling us a little bit more, as much as you feel comfortable, what, what yeah. you mean by over a period of a couple of hours he sexually assaulted you. Yeah, so he, at that point he did try to strangle me and um, the sexual assault was orally and digitally until he fell asleep. Because over here, I don't know about over there, but over here in... Um, Australia in Victoria, um, that is absolutely a rape. Is that what yeah. it's known as in New Zealand? No. Really? So here okay. it's known as indecent assault. Isn't isn't that well? Interesting is the wrong word, but over here, an indecent assault is where you touch somebody, and it's called in indecent circumstances. So that might be. Um, you touch them on the outside of their clothing. You might touch the outside of their breast. You might, um, I don't know, put your hand down the top of their, down at top and touch somebody's uh, breast or bottom. Like uh, an indecent assault is, um, yeah, gee. It did, I remember thinking, like, Indecent assault? That doesn't even sum up no, what happened. No. It just seems so minimal. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Mm. I, I'd never understood that term. No. Mm. I mean, it's like an umbrella for every type of sexual <laughs> assault, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's all under that one umbrella, but they are poles apart because yeah. an indecent assault, um, you could you could grab somebody's, um, and say stop that or no or whatever. But when you're talking about um, being choked, um, mm. being orally and um, uh, anally raped, did you say anally Digitally. raped? No. Oh, do, no. I do apologise. That's okay. Okay, but being raped like you were. Yeah. That is, that's just one under murder over here really. Yeah. Or manslaughter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, oh, gee. Okay. And so during all this, um, did you say in our conversations, um, which are quite minimal, but did you say that at some point one of your kids came in? No, that was the second time. Oh, right. Yeah. No, my, my children actually slept through this. So I was, I was thankful for that. Okay, and yeah. with this, um, so this is the second time he's came into the house, but this time he has raped you, yeah? Is that right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes, okay. Yeah. And you're saying there's another time? Yes, oh which was worse. <laughs> um, did the police um, attend on this? Were the police advised this time? Yeah, so, um, I mean, he fell asleep. I went to my kids and fell asleep. I just, I was exhausted. And he left the next morning. Um, I rang the police and reported it. Uh, And I remember the policewoman who had dealt with me all these previous times came and she was nearly in tears. I remember her saying, we should have got you that alarm. Mm. We should have listened to you. Mm. We should have got it. And I'm thinking, yeah, that would have been great. Mm. Thanks. Mm. Um, But late now. And, this was my first experience with a really serious charge like that. Like, I mean, it was my first experience with a rape kit, for example, and it was my first experience um, being interviewed 
by police. So, yeah, I mean, some things people don't think about, which I didn't realise until the time, was that we had detectives come into the house and they had to take all the bedding and I had to they I had to give over all my clothes that I was wearing at the time and you're not allowed to go to the bathroom, you're not allowed to eat or drink water. Um and you know, you don't get that bedding back, you don't get those clothes back. So you have to buy all that yourself um afterwards. Like there's small things like that that people don't realise. And um you go and do the rate kit and you have no clothes to get changed into. So they provide you with these oversized clothes that you would never wear. Like mm. there's just so many steps to it that you don't think about. Mm. Um, and I remember they took me in to go and get interviewed and I'm wearing pajamas because that's what I had on at the time. And so it's broad daylight. All the neighbors can see, and I'm walking out to a police car in pajamas. Mm. And then we did an interview. The interview took hours and that's all recorded, uh, videotaped, still sitting in my pajamas in the police station. Mm. It's about lunchtime now and having to walk through the station and then I remember they took me to a doctor's office which in the room that they take you to is upstairs I had to walk through the doctor's office with everyone waiting to go see the doctor with three detectives and I'm wearing my pajamas and they're carrying all these paper bags full of all my stuff mm. and I was like this is the most humiliating Absolutely. experience of my life yeah. it would be yeah. fairly obvious I think to just about anyone uh, yeah. particularly the fact that you're in your pyjamas and, as you oh, said, detectives with um, paper bags. I mean, this is this is unbelievable. Yeah. I, I don't know about anyone else listening to this, but I am, I am shaking my head at, at, as you say, the humiliation, the degradation, the embarrassment. And, you know, what would have been, I'm still struggling with a couple of things. Well, I'm struggling with the whole thing. Uh, but the fact that um, the the pyjamas, so you've um, had them, you put them on or you had them on when you were raped. Is that right? Uh, yes, yeah. So I'm thinking of all the contamination that is happening oh, yeah. with those pajamas. What yeah. uh, I don't know where to start, but those pajamas, oh. unfortunately, they should have also been with all the bedding, uh, all the other evidence that mm. the police have collected. Because by and, and to do an interview in your pajamas, in mm. in a police station, I, I my goodness. Um, while while we're on this, you've mentioned a number of times about a rape kit. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Could you explain, <laughs> I'm not or either too sure, what uh, a rape kit is? What do you mean by mm-hmm. rape kit? Yeah. So um, I remember going into the room and with the detective and there is a doctor present, male doctor, and a female nurse to help you through it. Um, so you're having to explain exactly what happened to them again. Mm. So this is maybe the third or fourth time you've told your story that day mm. in detail. Mm. Um, and they start, I guess, examining you. They start in the least invasive way. So they'll get like um, mouth swabs, hair sample, um, fingernail cuttings. Mm. And the whole time you have to stand on a piece of paper so that anything that comes off your body goes onto Mm. the piece of paper and then they can collect it at the end. So, I mean, after something like this has happened, they're swabbing everywhere and you are completely naked by the end of it. And it is, again one of the most humiliating experiences, no matter who's doing it, Mm. because I I have to say that the doctor and the nurse on that occasion were amazing. Mm. It was so good. Mm. I I can't thank them enough. They made me comfortable. 
But no matter what, I was still really embarrassed. And I didn't have any support with me at that time. Mm. I didn't want I didn't want anyone to come with me. So it was just me, this doctor and this nurse. Were you offered, in a room? Were you offered um, by the police uh, to have a support person like they could, I was. Oh, I, I, I was. Yeah. I just was so humiliated. Well, that's, that what, that's had, one thing they've done, happened. right? Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, definitely. They offered me that. Mm. I, I just want to go yeah. back there. So is this after your interview? Mm-hmm. Okay. And because here uh, you would be interviewed very, very briefly uh, just so that the, de- the detectives have an idea of what has happened and so that the detectives could brief the doctor and the nurse as to what they needed. For instance, if you'd been anally mm. raped, they'd obviously need swabs. If you'd been orally yeah. raped, you know, the fact that you'd been choked, you'd be asking the doctor, can you take, you know, photos of this, photos of that. Um, yeah. But so then, so you've, you are, this is after you've been interviewed, whereas the, yeah, I just can't get my head around all this. And the other thing is with your pyjamas, so they then put them, eventually they put them into an exhibit bag, do they? At the doctor and the nurse. Who? Yeah. Fucking Ray. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. Good. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, after that, which takes about two hours hours. to do. Um, you haven't eaten, you haven't drunk anything, you're exhausted, and then you're allowed to go and have a shower. And I think having a shower was the only time I'd been alone that whole time. And that's when it, you sort of, that's when it hits you. Mm. And I just remember being given these oversized clothes that, you know, I would, wouldn't be caught dead in, um, you know, and having no toiletries I can't even brush my hair but it, it was just you almost felt like a prisoner to be to be fair like it felt mm, yeah it was yeah you know I've just interviewed uh, in the last couple of um, weeks I've interviewed a woman called Gloria who went through a, a terrible um, sexual assault, a rape and she's started this uh, because of the the process of uh, exactly what you're saying, that she had nothing to um, um, change into, uh, all she wanted to do was mm. brush her teeth, go to the toilet, all that sort of thing. And she's got these little packages that she's trying to uh, um, give out to police stations or uh, hospitals where people are taken that have been sexually assaulted and they're called, I think it's called Thinking of You, and they contain, let's say, a toothbrush and toothpaste, some deodorant, yeah. um, some, you know, nice, clean, new underwear. Um, yeah, a, I love that. Yeah, it may be a, a T-shirt and a pair of, say, track pants or something like mm. that, but yeah. that sounds to me like that is exactly what, you would have um, appreciated yes. just some some care and something yeah. to make you feel, I don't know, safe and, oh, gee. Yeah. Mm. That was a tough day, definitely. Mm. So this is the, the second um, this is the second time and this is where the policewoman has said, I wish that um, I would have, uh, giving you that safety alarm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. in the scheme of things, so continue on. Yeah, so um, he was, the police found him. They knew where he went and he was arrested and then he didn't get bail, so he was on remand mm. in, in jail. Mm. Um, I think he was in for a few months. During that time, he was able to contact me several times. Uh, so the way in which she was doing so was um, by sending mail to our children, but within that mail was, you know, well, my kids couldn't read. They were babies then. So you knew what the underlying sort of message was. Um, 
you, you read between the lines and knew what he was trying to, to tell you. And what was he um, trying to tell you? Oh, I love you and you mean everything to me. Yeah, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and there was one occasion where he was able to phone through to me, um, which – so, I mean, I'd make complaints about all of this and received a letter of apology that it won't happen again. But From who? Um, who did you receive the letter from of? From the prisons. Yeah, okay. from, the, yep. from the prison. Because he was being sent to different prisons each time. So you're not always dealing with the same people. Um, and I think on this occasion – I received a phone call on my cell phone and it was a woman and she's saying, oh, hi, my partner is in the same cell as your partner and he wants to talk to you. Can I transfer the call through? Goodness me. I'm like, what? I didn't even know you could do this. You know, I'm like sitting there like, what? And then next minute I can hear him. Um, and, yeah, he's talking to me through the phone. Oh, yeah. just so in, uh, there's so much incompetence here. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah, I hung up, reported that he wasn't charged or anything for that. Why would you? Um, no, well, Seriously. you know. <laughs> Sorry, that's being sarcastic. Um, <laughs> I know, same. Oh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there was a um, like at this time I was going through family court mm. to try and get parenting orders. Mm. Um, for the kids and protection order. Uh, in total, I think I applied for a protection order three times Don't and only got it on the th- Oh, now yeah. come on. This is ridiculous. I only got it on the third time. Why? What was the reason that they didn't um, give it to you the first two times? I, I don't even know. There was, it was so confusing. So, so yes, I'm a highly educated woman, but I had no reason to know a lot of this law. But why, um, but why would you? Exactly. This, is, so this is stuff that unless you have been through something like this, you'd never, you'd never really think about it. Yeah. And, and often when lawyers are talking to you, they're talking how they talk. Yeah. I don't know. No half of what they're saying. Um, also, mindful that at the same time I'm going through a relationship property and trying to get an agreement there and I'm going through the criminal court. So three mm. three courts, basically. Mm. And I don't know what's going on, you know, having just gone through everything I've gone through, all I wanted to do is protect the kids. Um, mm. Yeah. It- the pa- what's the difference, um, a parenting order, oh, I suppose it's fairly obvious looking at it now, a parenting order and a protection order. So the protection order is to protect the kids from him but the parenting order is to give you sole rights for parenting. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, okay. So I would, I make all the decisions for my children. So I have full custody of them. Mm. Um, and that was granted first off, was it, the parenting yeah, order? Yeah, that was granted, yes. Oh. Um, I had to fight for that, though, through court. It wasn't just handed to me. I remember this had – it had been less than a month and we appeared in court together. I thought he was going to be the uh, video. Represent, or, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, and he was in the same room as me. This was, what, three weeks after that incident had happened. Uh, I just remember being a crying mess through the whole procedure and – he fought for it. Um, he wanted to. He he was asking for co-parenting rights. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah, and so what I realised really early on with parenting order is that it almost doesn't matter what the other party has done, the other parent has done, they still have rights to be a parent and to see their children. Yes. So. Even though they had done this, they had witnessed a lot of the stuff that had been done. He still had rights to see the children. So I realised fighting that wasn't worth it. Mm. So he was given access to the children. Was he given access to the children uh, under, you know, supervision, like somebody supervising him? Yeah. Okay. So So in New Zealand we would normally – 
um, you pay like a social worker yeah. or there'd be like a contract yeah. and they can have time. He wouldn't pay it. He refused to pay it. So we had to come to an agreement that his mother was to be the mediator, I guess, for that time. Oh, gee. And, and can I just say here that his mother, the day after this happened, when there's police still here, she turned up to the house and said, it wasn't really rape, was it? Like, and she's, it wasn't and she's really. the supervisor for. <laughs> she's the, the supervisor, kids. yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's a. It's a tough thing because I've spoken to a lot of fathers who have been, um, they're not allowed to see their kids because of a crime they've committed. And I do understand that both parents have rights, but at at what stage do you say, no, those rights are no longer um, acceptable or um, like... I think that the supervision, I think a father should be able to see their kids as, as much as they can, but there is a line. There's a line, yeah. surely. And exactly. the fact that he has broken into the house, he's frightened the kids, um, they've seen you. <laughs> oh, gee. And what I don't understand as well is the fact that you've got a parenting order but also a protection order. It's like the two of them, uh, 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 like a protection order is how can you protect your children if they're with him? Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Righto. Okay. So <laughs> what What a nightmare. Yeah. So. Oh, sorry, just one other thing. Do you know, did the kids ever indicate to you that they did want to like? Did the kids ever get any say in this? And were they old enough to to voice if they wanted to go with daddy? Or they they absolutely did want oh, to okay. go with their dad because right. okay. yep. like in their in their eyes they missed their dad and yeah. they didn't understand why they couldn't see him yeah. because he'd been here every day of their life. Yeah, okay. Um, mm. We've been living in the same house, so they couldn't make sense of it. They were very young. Mm very young at the time. So, yeah, they did want to see their dad. Mm. I suppose I don't have an issue with um, him having access to the children, but I just think his mother is uh, not the sort of person that I would have thought would have been Mm -hmm. um, a good choice as a a supervisor, let's say. It should have been somebody independent. I just, uh, that's the issue I have with him, Um, yeah, Anyway, yeah. Okay, so you're. This is three weeks after you've been raped, um, and you're doing having all these uh, the issues in court. How were you treated by the court staff? Uh, what is your experience with that? Um, it was a very confusing time because I was in so many different courts. In, in so many different mm. uh, I was meeting with lawyers all the time mm. I remember it being really stressful the cost the cost of lawyers mm. at the time mm. um, and yeah just just having very little understanding of what was going on and I'm thinking well this is me imagine anyone else going through this how did they navigate their way um yeah, and there wasn't at that point. There wasn't really any um, like victim advocacy for me. There wasn't really anyone supporting me through that that part of it. So I just had to kind of get on with it. It was very very confusing. Um, so that happened in August two thousand nineteen, and he wasn't properly sentenced until December twenty twenty. Was he uh, remanded that whole time? No. So a few months here and there, whenever he would breach. So he was, uh, I don't know what you guys call it in Australia, but he was given EM bail, electronically monitored bail. Okay. So he had to wear a bracelet. Yeah. Yep. And how did that go? Did he try and see you or? Yes. 
Yes, quite a lot. Um, so constant, constant texts, emails, messages through people, letters in the mail. Um, at one point, um, I got messaged through pin- Pinterest. Yep. Didn't know that they you could even message through there, but you can mm. somehow. Mm. Um, he found a way. Mm. He found a way. Would would make up different email addresses, just any which way he could. He would contact me. Mm. Yeah, with um, with this second uh, incident where he's um, raped you. What was the support like from the police? Apart from it, I understand the woman has said, the policewoman has, you know, said I should have got you that alarm. Yeah. How how did you find the response from the police? Because I imagine that through all this the police would should have, would have, um, could have given you a, a person, um, a support person or somebody almost like uh, a triage person that you could yeah. ring. Or- so... Um- I might be, I hang on, I might have confused you. So this, um, where he, the sexual assault was the first account, was the first time. Um, I haven't yet got to the second part where the actual rape occurred. In week two next week, you'll hear more about Sarah's struggles with the justice system, the attitude of the police, which comes from not understanding the complexities of domestic and family violence, which so often includes sexual assault or the threat of it. Coercive control, they don't get that either, I don't think, Um, and not understanding the reasons that women, or men for that matter, stay in an abusive relationship. And it's not just the police, it's the justice system as a whole and the community from which those in the justice and police systems are chosen from or uh, represent. Only this week I read an article about a judge who didn't send a former principal to jail for his, what the judge described as, brazen child abuse of children in his care because he was, quote, otherwise of good character, unquote. Oh, gee. So, and what about the children that he'd abused, the effect on them will more often than not be lifelong. And this former principal was of otherwise good character. Oh, anyway, I need to get off my soapbox and allow you to enjoy the rest of your week and await part two of Sarah's amazing resilience, strength and courage, which she has got in bucket loads. Thanks. Have a good week. As you've probably noticed, we've moved to a new platform called ACAST. I think that's the right expression, I've got no idea. And my previous reviews haven't transferred over. I need reviews. (laughs) Could you do me a favour and put up a review? And thank you so much for your support and patronage. With your help, I can give you that little bit extra. Thanks. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.